and welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Ah, Ricky Ba Tiki Bruhaha. Ben Tickle Tin Rickle Ooh La La. Waga Tusi Flim Flam Catch Him in a Tin Can. Mama Louie Papa Shui Zoo Me Ya. I'm the host known as Micah. And I'm Matsy, and really impressed that you were able to memorize that whole thing. It's like Johan Gamble Putty up in here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't have it written out in front of me. <laughs> well, that's even more impressive. I suppose I should explain what we're doing here. Uh, this is Animation Celery, and every week we give each other some cartoons to watch and then come back to review and discuss them. And today, because it's just been incredible heat lately, although not so much today, uh, we decided to watch some wintry Christmassy things. Christmas in July. Uh, we're looking at 12 months and a wish for wings that work. But first, um, I want to do one thing. Buy my machine. Buy my machine. Buy my machine. Buy my machine. That... That that I just put in there was what should have been the celery stalker slogan last week. Ah. I just I just messed up completely. I apologize for the inconvenience. Hopefully no, that, that was a good one, too, though. Yeah, no, <laughs> not not as good as what could have been. Hmm. But anyway, what do you, what have you now that we've got that correction out of the way? What do you have uh, to talk about, Micah? Um, well, I think first off, one of our stalkers. Uh, supplied us with an animation. Oh, yes, yes. Stalker number one. <laughs> yes. Um, Samantha Patterson, uh, she gave you a link to an animation called Free as a Bird. Yeah. Yeah, an interesting little animation. That she made. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, yeah, I only just watched it now before we mm. started recording. Um, right. And it's, you know, Pretty impressive. It's kind of like um, the techniques of cell animation, but in terms of illustration, I think uh, graphite. Yes, I believe that's correct. Hmm. So in this then, case, yeah. then put into a computer. Yes. Much yes. like much like Sleeping Betty. That's how it came up is um, in our review of Sleeping Betty oh. uh, two weeks ago. Reminded her of that. Hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's it's about a cat that uh, seems at first to uh, dream of the freedom of going outside, possibly to hunt down some birds. <laughs> uh, and then the cats turn on the uh, pet bird that also lives in its domicile. Right. Yeah. So uh, we'll link it. Um, I guess we'll, we'll save the link at the end and, uh, um, yeah, I'll, I mean, just drop it in here. Saying yeah. a YouTube link is pretty awkward, uh, but I'll pretty pointless. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it on Twitter. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that'd be pretty cool if that became a thing. If, uh, yeah. listeners of the show would show us the things they've made. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even just drawings, if, you, if you're not, uh, if you don't have the uh, uh, fortitude to make a full animation. Yeah, it's it's remarkable that Sam was able to do that. I don't know if it was a student thing or just something that she did, because she does everything. Like, she's a friend of mine, and she's, there is nothing that she doesn't do. She's a musician. She's an artist. Um, I think she's done, like, sculpting and, like, costume making. She does programming. Like, she's, she does Literally everything. Mm. Remarkable. Mm. Some people are like that. Yeah. 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 In other news, uh, had you noticed that uh, the new Magic the Gathering set has Dungeons and Dragons as a theme? I saw a sign. There's a there's a store near me that is sort of the I guess the local go to place for card games. And I saw a poster on the door that said MTG plus D&D. Right. And I thought, okay, they're doing, they're, they have finally crossed that line. They're exploring uh, the Forgotten Realms, the, <laughs> uh, the key setting to 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. In most editions of Dungeons and Dragons, really, but yeah. Truly, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so I had a look at the, the card list, and, uh -huh. you know, it's a mix of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there's, like, dice rolling. 
in there. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, it tends to be graded kind of gently, though. Hmm. So it'll be like, um, for example, I think it's Lightfoot Rogue or something like that, that uh, is uh, a black creature that when it attacks, you roll a d20. And then on a one through nine, it gets like plus one to its power and death touch. Hmm. And then uh, from 10 to 19, it gets a bigger boost to its power. And then on a 20, a critical, if you will, it gets a bigger boost and first strike and, and death touch. Hmm. So it tends to be kind of more gentle stuff like that, but it still does have the potential for criticals or in, on some cards, fumbles. Yeah, I haven't played Magic in a long time, but and and never really in any high level competition. Mm. Uh, but the impression that I got, like just viewing it from the outside, was that whenever you had a card that introduced some kind of randomness as to whether it would work or not, yeah, it was generally not well received competitively. Well. Yeah, I guess you can't rely on getting through a lot of matches without it yeah. tanking on you. So I wonder about that, like the idea of, you know, a set where the theme is cards that may or may not work or have a variant of that you can't control over how well it works. Well, like I said, most of the time, like rolling low is still okay. Like yeah. it's still good. Mm -hmm. And then it's just better when you roll high. Right. But there are some that have, like, disasters for rolling low. <laughs> like, uh, there's, uh, what is it, like a treasure chest that, you know, is trapped if you roll one. Um, and there's a deck of many things that is bad if you roll low. Appropriately enough. For, for all those people that know Dungeons & Dragons and the infamous deck of many things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, it, like, it, it encapsulates the D&D experience in other ways, like... There's uh, enchantments for being character classes. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the enchantment levels up when you pay mana requirements. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're varying degrees of effective or interesting. Uh, so, for example, like the rogue uh, does quite a bit of exiling your opponent's cards. Mm. And then when you level them up to level three you can then start playing those exiled cards without regard to the color of mana and their cost as though oh. you've stolen them, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, there's uh, tons of dragons and they decided to just keep it simple and make like the white dragons, white, the blue. dragons. <laughs> oh blue. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I guess that works because like the colored dragons just happen to be the same colors as the colors of magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, they have dungeons, which is weird. I don't know if this <laughs> this will be some weird legacy or something, but uh, the dungeons are cards you keep in your sideboard, but don't count to your sideboard slots. Okay. And basically, some cards will venture, which allows you to put your little token at the beginning of the dungeon or advance it to one of the further rooms, hmm. which, will, which will trigger an effect. Right. And then there are, like, cards that care about whether you've completed a dungeon this game or not. Um, mm. I don't know how good those are exactly. But, yeah, uh, I'm wondering how well that, those would be received. Well, you know, at least in limited, people will play with them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, having just skimmed over it, it's... And, and not having really looked at a uh, card list in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um... Some of it's pretty cool, and some of it is clunky as heck. I'm sure. Like, some of it is like, uh, oh, when this condition is met, this creature instead becomes a piece of equipment with these abilities. <laughs> you know, just weird memory issues, you know, and there's a lot of, like, playing from exile, but it has to be, like, exiled by this card, so you're, I guess you're, like, going to be keeping stacks of cards, like... This is the stuff that was exiled this way, and this is the stuff that was exiled that way. Mm, yeah. So there's some clunkiness. But I'll say, you know, before they did this, they did um, uh, they did Dungeons & Dragons products with uh, Magic the Gathering uh, settings. I own one. Oh, okay. The, I, uh, have the, uh, I have the Ravnica. Ravnica. Yeah, the yeah. Ravnica book. 
Um, I will say that this, I think, incorporates Dungeons & Dragons better than those do incorporate magic into Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, because like the, 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 at least the book that I have was using the setting, but yes. not the mechanics necessarily. Like there was, there were um, background options because, you know, mm-hmm. you can have like, you know, in fifth edition, you'd have like, you're a uh, entertainer, you're a soldier, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and these just have 10 background options um, implying membership in the 10 guilds. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's as much of the magic. It's all, it's all flavor. Like there's no magic mechanics shoehorned into D and D the way that they seem to be shoehorning D and D mechanics into magic here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to be playing Dungeons and Dragons magic, I want my warlock to be able to kill things with terror. <laughs> so, so that, that came out, but also, uh, there's D and D controversy these days. Oh, yes. This is my, my lefty segment. All right. Um, so, uh, this involves Ernie Gygax, the uh, one of the sons of Gary Gygax, the creator of D and D. One of them. Yeah, one of them. Um, right. So this is weird. The original, um, the original company that published Dungeons and Dragons was TSR, Tactical Studies Rules. Right. But the uh, license for Dungeons and Dragons was bought by Wizards of the Coast. As far as I know, the entire TSR company was bought by Wizards of the Coast, weren't they? Probably. Car Wars and all that stuff. Hmm. Um, so, and, and they're owned by Hasbro later on. Uh, yeah. However, uh, they let the TSR trademark lapse. Oh. So, another company started using it. Another game company that produces a top secret spy RPG thing. Okay. <laughs> but funny enough, they let the trademark lapse too. <laughs> so Ernie Gygax leapt in and decided, you know, I'm going to do kind of like an old school renaissance kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to use the TSR name proper. So it probably has like the same logo and all that. And how does a trademark lapse twice in 20 years? How long does a trademark last? Not all that long, actually. Huh. You have to you have to renew it. Like, I've done this before, and I, I've let a couple of them lapse, actually. Okay. Um, I don't know whether this was just, like, like for the case of, of Wizards, carelessness or just mm. cheapness, hmm. right? I, I can't believe, like, the, the people that put out Top Secret RPG just looked at it and went, oh, $800, we don't got it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but even, even a group like Hasbro might have said, $800, you know, money is money, and we don't want to, like, bother with this TSR thing from the seventies. Right. <laughs> um, so, so Ernie Gygax leapt on that and he's got an RPG called giant lands, you know, that's going to give you that old feeling of his pop in his game. Right. But he like in, in, in promoting his game made sure to, uh, lambaste the direction of wizards in, okay you know, like making fun of inclusivity and okay. diversity. Okay. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so not only is like, this is old school RPG, this is old school morality too. Right. <laughs> so, you know, he made fun of, of, of trans rights and stuff and, and black lives matter apparently. And Ugh. so before, you know, he had like a cordial relationship with the TSR that was putting out top secret. And they put out a statement like, we have nothing to do with this <laughs> other TSR. <Right? laughs> oh, weird. He's further banned from Gen Con, Ernie. And, oh, and, wow. Yeah. Which, uh, like I found out about this as, as, you know, looking at my YouTubes and, you know, I, I expressed this before about like my disappointment for things like Masters of the Universe fandom. And yeah. it just it just stretches all the way over, right? Where I'm like watching these guys and you know, it's funny. I I, I think of myself as a tribeless guy, but if I do have a tribe, it's this, which is why I feel all the more ashamed when, you know, these people talking about about Dungeons and Dragons and they have like anime avatars on their videos, you know. Mm. But then they're talking about like how uh uh how 
tired of there of everything being the fault of straight white men. And um, they can make some salient points, though, right? Mm. But it's you know, I, I found this is a rhythm for this sort where they'll make good worthwhile points, but there'll be just like the gnawing of something really ugly that's just trying to get to the surface. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I can partly agree, like, you know, slamming Gary Gygax for some homophobic stuff he said 30, 40 years ago. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem right, you know? The, the, I mean, the honest answer there is that everybody was saying homophobic stuff 30, 40 years ago. And it, yes. like, it wasn't that I'm not saying that it was a good thing to do or an excusable no. thing. It just wasn't as in the forefront of public perception. Right now, like nowadays, you know, I, I mean, I can't believe that they still have to say, you know, that it's, it's ridiculous to slam people for being gay or being trans like it's, mm. it's it's just ridiculous that it even has to be said or or even being black or or sure. just not a white male like it's it's I, I can't believe it's still something that we have to say like don't don't be a jerk like who cares if somebody is gay like just I think I think the world is more interesting with trans people and gay people in it like it's well, it's also just a bad hill to die on, even if you felt yeah. that way, I think. Yes. Like, like I kind of feel that games sort of live beyond this kind of thing where you can play with somebody you disagree with, you know? Yeah. I was thinking, even as a funny parallel, that they stopped a world war to have an Olympics with people that yeah. you're diametrically now, opposed to. I mean, part of, well, part of the Berlin games was... <laughs> You know, Germany saying, oh, this is great. This will give us a great chance to prove that white men are the best race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it didn't actually. I think like the first gold medal of the games was won by a black man or something. Hmm. I could be wrong. I mean, it was almost 100 years ago, but. Yeah, I'm not I'm not setting up a straw man here and saying like, <laughs> you, know, you you should get together a D&D &D with a Nazi. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I sort of feel that way. And I just kind of feel that, you know. If they were kind of troublesome, like, you know, just have them at Gen Con, whatever. But when it's like when you're putting it out at the forefront, like, hey, hey, you know, we don't care about this stuff, you know, mm -hmm. as, as like the face of your new uh, company and game. Oh, yeah, the, that ugliness I was saying was going to like bubble up to the surface, you know, like worthwhile points being made. And then we'll say something like uh, talking about how uh what i went something like this like what about walt disney are you going to tear down his statues next i'm saying oh oh i couldn't help to mention tearing down statues <laughs> like oh okay yeah mm, yeah i mm, get it mm, yeah. yeah it's it's a weird thing to navigate right like like people that complain about these things and and come at it with worthwhile things but like when you analyze what's animating them you know, and you take parallel things like, uh, for example, those uh, Marvel Comics guys who uh, get really freaked out about Ms. Marvel. You know, mm. the, uh, she's, yeah. she's from a family from Asia Minor, right? Yeah. It's like, why are they keep on trying to force her on us like this and her, her series keep getting canceled? And it's like, well, you know, Silver Surfer keeps getting canceled. And <laughs> don't see you complain about him or, or Moon Knight. Like getting canceled is Moon Knight's superpower. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think these people really have to ask themselves what's animating them about that character. Anyway, uh, that's that's my kvetching. Uh, 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 what's going on for you, Matsy? Uh, on your not recommendation, but um, incidental comment. Okay. I went and watched the Robin Hood episode of Alf Tales. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give the whole review. We did that last week, but like yeah. good artwork, animation's okay. Timing's a little off. Um, voice acting, mm, questionable. Um, great gags, good writing. I liked, mm -hmm. I liked the writing. This was actually the first episode. 
And it's, I like that they played more into the idea that it was established characters putting on a show. Mm -hmm. There were like multiple references to the costumes or one of the characters thought it was Little Red Riding Hood and not Robin Hood. Um, The one thing in it, though, that really stood out to me Mm -hmm. was one of the voice actors. Okay. Tabitha St. Germain. Right on. 20 years before My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, she was already a star. She's so good. She, she's the best part. Like I, she was made Marion in this. Right. And she's just so good. Like 20 years before rarity. She's it, 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 like rarity was always tab of the St. Germain. I should say was always my favorite cast member in friendship is magic. Mm-hmm. Like I liked her version of rarity and um, princess Luna. And just to hear this other major role of hers, 20 years earlier and it's like yeah she's still 20 years ago she was still the star of the show she's so good she's the secret Tress McNeil same kind of (laughs) longevity same kind of impact well different kind of impact but same kind of talent yeah she's Canadian so I wonder if there's something about her like you know just not being able to get to Los Angeles as much or something that has held her back from Tress McNeil levels of fame hmm the only thing I really remember from the Robin Hood one was uh, Alf's friend Skip in the role of Little John. Mm-hmm. But instead of offensing with uh, with quarterstaves, he's like pairing with his saxophone. Yeah. Have I got that right? Yep. You got exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> There's some good. I like the gags. And, like just nice little jokes like um, Alf explaining or Gordon explaining mm. early on that. King Richard was out of the country on a book signing tour (laughs) rather than crusades or or like the sheriff of Nottingham was taking all the peasants gold and countertop appliances. (laughs) Just like little things thrown in like that. It was good stuff. Isn't it weird that the ALF TV show, the the live action (laughs) one is so bad, but the cartoon is so good. Yeah, you know, different writers, different setting. They don't have to pander to a studio audience. Uh, right. They don't they're not um, bound by the limitations of him being a puppet like Alf doesn't always have to be behind a counter. Right. <laughs> you know, I heard that the um, there was like a award show like uh, Golden Globes or something. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. And I <laughs> heard that that guy uh, Fusco mm. is one of the hardest guys to work with because he's very demanding. Mm. Like they had to put this like trap door contrivance because he didn't want to destroy the illusion by having a guy walk out and set up a puppet. So he had to like surface from behind the podium in order to do that. There's as a, um, um, a counter to that. Like Mm -hmm. think about the Muppets. Like I remember the Muppets were on one. It might've been just for laughs in Montreal. I'm not sure they were on some show. And I remember, um, it was Kermit and Fozzie. Mm. And at some point, you know, Fozzie is like, I think he was like alone and like kind of stage fright ish or something. And at some point he kind of looked down and he's like, Kermit. And he brings Kermit back and he's like, Kermit, there's someone underneath me. Mm. It's good stuff. Like, you know, acknowledging there's a puppeteer or, or one of my favorite gags I ever saw in the Muppet show was yeah. Kermit and, and he's backstage and he's drinking a glass of milk through a straw. Yeah. And so he's just sucking on this straw and the milk's going down and he stops at some point and he looks at the camera and he says, now think about this, folks. And then he just starts sucking more milk down. (laughs) (laughs) They use the same gag later where there was like the place was haunted or something and a candle came on out of nowhere and he went ah and blew it out. And then again, looked at the camera. Now think about that. (laughs) It's one of my favorite kind of gags for that. There was a Conan O'Brien thing, you know, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Yep. Um, They're having an award show. I think it was for like the audiences for the listening and watching award uh, sciences or whatever. Okay. And the presenters were Triumph and uh, Tom Arnold. <laughs> so what they had was Tom Arnold like running onto the stage in a tuxedo with uh, an actual Rottweiler on a leash. 
<laughs> and as soon as they got behind the podium, Triumph came up <laughs> like the puppet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good gag. <laughs> um, one other thing that I watched was I, out of nowhere, I saw, I guess on HBO Max it is. I didn't see it there, but I saw it popped up. Um, a mm-hmm. new Tom and Jerry Oh, boy. Uh, uh, Tom and Jerry in New York, it's called. Okay. And the episodes are just little six-minute. Like, like each episode has, like, four six-minute uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons. I watched mm. the very first one. Okay. Which is called, I think it's called Put a Ring on It. Okay. And, mm, I mean, it's all just Tom and Jerry cartoons with the common thread that they're in New York. Um, so it's just an urban setting. Um I, I I will say that they they look the part. You know, it's not like a it's not like a cartoon where they've like redone the characters for the modern era or whatever, like right. Looney Tunes or something. It's like no, this is identifiable as classic Tom and Jerry. They, <sighs> you know, they Tom has this little like inhaling gasp scream. You know the sound okay. I mean, like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't do it, but. They've, I know what you're talking about. They've kind of clipped that and use it in this. Okay. But they use it all the time, like over uh, and over, like so many times that I was like, okay, every time he like sees something and is surprised by it, like it's that scream. That's too uh, bad because he has a panoply of really funny sound effects. <laughs> I like when like um, a window pane falls on his neck and he does that oh thing, you know, where he, it's kind of like an ululating, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, those are Tom and Jerry cartoons. Like, I think, well, maybe not. We don't, we don't want to subject, subject ourselves to that. But there's, uh, I was thinking that maybe for this uh, podcast, we do some of those Tom and Jerry's that are fairy tales, you know? Oh, yeah. Or not fairy tales, but just properties like Tom and Jerry and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or you know, oh, Tom and... I forgot yeah. how that existed. What the... Talk about Tom why and does Jerry this and exist? Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. That Willy Wonka thing was, it was like, it, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I saw a little bit of it because I was so baffled by it. And yeah. it's like, it's an animated adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right. But then sometimes it'll cut to Tom chasing Jerry around the factory. And the two. Briefly. Do, the two like don't intersect. It's Man. They're just like, yeah, they're just um, like in, in the Sherlock Holmes one, I think that Tom uh, Jerry's in another assistant sleuth. I think Tom's his butler or something. They're just there for the ride. Weird. That it's... was no. Now there's a concept for a show. What we'll do is we'll watch a Tom and Jerry with was one of those terrible premises and compare it to the Alf tales of the same property. You know what we could compare it to um, like in the similar. I mean, it wouldn't be a one to one comparison, but yeah. when I'm thinking about Here's a known property, and we're putting Tom and Jerry in it. I'm thinking of the various WWE superstars meet the Flintstones, or right. your WWE superstars meet Scooby Doo. Yeah, Kiss and yeah, Archie yeah. Comics. Yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. That is, I'm, I'm not sure making it that is. Up. I'm sure it yeah. is. I'm sure it is. Like WWE is just shameless in. Hmm. Whatever. Anyway, we've talked. We should do, we should do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you gave me this Christmas themed cartoon. Yeah. Uh, a wish for wings that work. Yes. Or by its Rick and Morty title, a Rick for wings that Morty. <laughs> Probably Rick from Briggs that Mort, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the most recent episode of that is called A Rick Convenient Mort. <laughs> so this, this, this cartoon here. Yeah. Um, this is within Berkeley Breathe's uh, comic Bloom County, or maybe Outland, some kind of combination of the two. Opus and Bill. Correct, correct. Yeah. Um, it's directed by Skip Jones. So for those of you who don't know, Bloom County was sort of a semi-adult newspaper comic strip. And its star characters, some of them, one is Opus, a penguin, who is uh, 
uh, kind of meek, I guess. Mm. A little nerdy. And then there's Bill the cat, which is sort of just this burned out, drugged out cat. It was Bill was created as a parody of Garfield. They he intended as a joke, like to make it was it was parodying Garfield's merchandising by creating the most aggressively unmerchandisable orange and striped cat he could think of. And then yeah. it backfired when he became endlessly merchandisable. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, so this is an adaptation from... It's it's Breathed, right? Berkeley Breathed? I think it's Breathed. Yeah. Let's go with that. And if it's not, we apologize to him. Breathed. Uh, Breathed. Bre- <laughs> uh, it's an adaptation of a children's book featuring his, his famous characters. Uh, so our story begins with Opus the Penguin writing to Santa Claus to request the ability to fly. And we get a little montage of uh, his accounts of his failures. Uh, Opus is accompanied during his failed attempts by his sidekick, Bill the Cat, as we discussed, a raggedy version of Garfield with a fried brain. Hmm. Some other characters introduced some ducks that all mock Opus for his flightlessness. Also amongst his little flashback here, Opus attends a support group for flightless birds. George the Kiwi, for example, bemoans that his wife left him for an albatross with big wings. (laughs) Anyway, the chaos of that meeting proves to be no help for Opus. And nextly, Opus uh, tells of his, his attempt to use helium balloons attached to a girdle in order to fly. But when it fails, he takes out his frustrations on Bill the Cat. And that's where we are now, where he's resorting to asking for help from Santa Claus. So, to the tune of the Magnificent Seven, Santa flies across the sky until the hitch of his sleigh separates and causes him to fall while shouting, Ho, 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 oh no! (laughs) After waking up from a bad dream, Opus is begged for help from the three ducks that mocked him. Santa is on his sleigh floating in the water, and the ducks can't help, because I guess icy water isn't their deal. At any rate, Opus's specialty as a penguin is swimming in frigid water, so he rescues rescues Santa and earns the Jolly One's hat. Funny, but he's still dissatisfied with being unable to fly. On Christmas Day, however, the ducks show up at Opus's house, and as new fans of the Santa Savior, and at the request of the uh, Bill the Cat, oh scorned Bill the Cat, they lift Opus and give him the gift of a Christmas flight. So, uh, kind of a short and sweet story here. It was a half hour special. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, like, 21 minutes, I guess, really. So, as I mentioned, this is... uh, It's kind of more Outland than Bloom County in that it features more Outland characters than Bloom County ones. Mm. Outland was, uh, after... Berkeley Breathe stopped making Bloom County. He tried a different experiment that was going to be kind of like an Alice in Wonderland flight of fancy, probably skewed more toward young youngsters, I think. But yeah, it, it ultimately didn't fly. And he uh, later on returned to Bloom County. This was 1991. Do you happen mm-hmm. to know the timeline of the Bloom County slash Outland Oh, whether Outland Outland was out yet? 1989 is the start of Outland. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Um, so this is exactly in Outland's uh, time period. Right, right. Although it takes place in the real world in this case. Hmm. So one of the big things back in the day is we hadn't heard, with the exception of a music album, we hadn't heard these characters' voices. Mm-hmm. Opus is voiced by Michael Bell. And I remember not much liking getting to hear what his actual voice was. Okay. Back in the day. This, this, this voice actor is a good voice actor, though. He was uh, Duke from G.I. Joe. 
Mm-hmm. A bunch of Transformers and Grouchy Smurf. <laughs> so he's a voice actor I like. Quacker but Jack. In this case, <laughs> yeah. Quacker Jack in Darkwing Duck. Mm. I maybe I think that Opus sounds like Mr. Miniwheat. Kind of. What do you think? Yeah. What do you, what do you think of uh, Michael Bell as Opus in this? I accept it. Like, you know, maybe I didn't have the same kind of attachment to Opus. Like, I remember watching this when it first aired. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of my first exposure to Opus. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it, um, I just accept that this is Opus's voice. I don't, and it, it's, you know, it's been in my head long enough that I don't know that I can think of what I would rather it sound like. Yeah, this, in our household, um, Bloom County was like the go-to uh, comic collection, right? Mm. So every Christmas we'd get the new Bloom County. Oh, cool. So some other voices in this thing. Bill the Cat is Frank welkering it up, but <laughs> actually it's John Biner from the Ant and the Aardvark cartoon. <laughs> Yeah, Wild. doing his impression of Frank Welker, I guess. But that's all the funnier because Frank Welker is doing the voice of Santa Claus. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the big one uh, that I think people might even recognize without seeing the credits is that Robin Williams is the bitter kiwi bird. I'm not sure. I, I can. You didn't notice that? I'm not sure I noticed that, but okay, I'll buy it. Yeah, and... Uh, I can believe that that whole thing about like uh, <laughs> him having, having wing envy for the albatross <laughs> is a Robin Williams joke. <laughs> like he wrote that, I bet. There's there are like maybe three jokes that I remembered from the first time I saw this. Mm -hmm. And one of them is at the very end where where uh, Opus is flying around and there's a chicken voiced by Tress McNeil who mm -hmm. kind of thinks that she's a pilot or an air traffic control thing. You know, mm -hmm. she's constantly like spouting out aircraft jargon and yeah. she says something about watch out. You'll suck a duck into the, your turbines or whatever. And then George says, why don't you suck up an albatross? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good joke. This is, um, What's, this, what's uh, the character from Fern Gully, the bat? This predates oh, that geez. for uh, Robin Williams. Mm, yeah, I, can't, I don't even remember. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I guess his trajectory for his voice acting career. Um, this would have been the year before Aladdin. Okay, so he'd probably already recorded. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're right. For Fern yeah. Gully. Um, I guess a couple other notables uh joe alasky who did plucky duck is one of the ducks he's almost all of the ducks or is or he? maybe or, mm. well i don't know like it, i kept he's definitely one of the ducks it kept moving around like i kept thinking you know that's definitely plucky but that might also be plucky like mm. and i think they might have put the the wrong voice on the ducks sometimes too yeah, though they're they're pretty interchangeable. More or less. There's one of them that has a shaved head, which is funny because it's just this little like <laughs> yeah. scrawny pink bump coming out of the top of like a flat white surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The writing in this is very Bloom County. Mm-hmm. So like you get uh the Bloom County sorts of vernacular, like Grand Pooba and Tater Tots. Yeah, yeah. Once again, though, you get kind of like, for me, you get to compare it to the comics or what you envisioned the comics were. I thought the comics were slower and go figure less animated. Mm -hmm. You know, um, this, this animation is good. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, I would have liked to seen a hint of uh, like Breathed's pen work that yeah. is characteristic of the thing. But, you know, maybe that's asking a lot because uh, you noted in the prior episode that Cuphead doesn't look like 30s animation, so mm. that that's a farther uh, farther afield sort of departure. I think it's. I think this is alright. I think in this era, like having you know, people had expectations about their animation. It wasn't really. Oh yeah, it, wasn't, it wouldn't be experimental. It wouldn't be experimental. Like exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, Ren and Stimpy had barely started at this point. Right, right. You know. 
uh, one of our associates met Skip Jones, the director of this. Really? Yeah, yeah, he worked with him. Um, be darned. I like. I don't have a lot of great third-hand anecdotes, except that uh, uh, he said that those great-looking gummy bears episodes cost a million bucks. <laughs> like literally a million dollars, but each or collectively? Yeah, like each. Like Man. each. Man, yeah. wow. And and yeah. and that was eighties million. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say like that. Disney bucks. Disney hadn't made the Little Mermaid yet. Like they weren't. You know, they were in the. Uh, the Black Cauldron, Fox and the Hound era of, like, second-rate income. Hmm. So how do you feel about uh, A Wish for Wings That Work? I like it. Um, I have some history with this. Um, I I saw it when it first aired and remembered it and thought, you know, there was some good gags in it. Like, like there's, you know, there's a joke early on where... Um, Opus is going to send the letter, but he realizes he doesn't have time. And so he faxes it instead. And in, that 19, is funny. in 1991, that's funnier than it is now. Uh, yeah. A joke that stuck with me from 1991 all the way through to 2021. I've never forgotten it because I thought it was the best, mm. which is as Opus is chewing out Bill, he says at some point, I need cats like I need butt implants. And right. then when he wakes up the next morning, his butt falls off. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was a beautiful gag. But here's my history with this show. Uh, in the mid-90s, I had myself a girlfriend. And mm. her mom had an affection for Bill the Cat. Mm. And I remember telling her at some point, it's like, oh, you know, there's a animated special with Bill the Cat. She's like, no, there's not. It's like, yeah, it's called a wish that wings that work. A wish for wings that work is a Christmas special. Like there, there was no such thing. It doesn't exist. And I had seen the VHS tape in the video store. And so the next time me and my girlfriend were there, I was like, okay, hang on. I am going to show you that this special exists. Watch. And I took her over to the section mm. and it wasn't there. Nah. And I never got to show her mom a wish for wings that work. And it wasn't until the internet that I was able to type in and confirm that it existed because it only aired the once as mm. far as I know. Uh, and yeah, it wasn't until I have seen a wish for wings at work exactly three times. Once when it first aired once earlier today. And <sighs> once when I realized that it was probably on the internet. Mm. So just like, to have it confirmed, like, see, I told you this was real. Hmm. This is whatever. Um, this might be the biggest uh, emotional arc for Bill the Cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got nothing going on in the comics. He's just kind of something there that that, that pukes up hairballs, right? Yeah, yeah. But no, I like this. I think, I I think it's well made. I think it has good. I think the gags are good. I think the writing is sharp. Um. You know, just for a half hour, a little Christmas special, it's fine. Um, and in 1991, I think the, the writing of some of the gags was a cut above what, what was going on at that time in a lot mm. of cases. I mean, there were, some, the there were some shows like Tiny Toons that were just like right on the, like, you know, the cutting yeah. edge of humor, right? But yeah. at the same time, like, this is in there, like, you know, is, you know the, there's a, like, good, experienced comedy writer in Berkeley Breathed making these jokes. Yeah. I say I'm a bit in the middle, but I think a lot of Christmas specials are overrated. Mm -hmm. I think Charlie Brown is massively overrated. Agreed. So, you, you know, know. <laughs> there's a second Charlie Brown Christmas special and uh, well, I, yeah. I, it's just little, um, 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 sketches, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not like one big narrative. It's just little, here's this, this, this. And there's one where like Charlie Brown is like selling Christmas trees door to door or something. Oh, okay. And, and somebody says to him, you know, you're just contributing to the commercialization of Christmas. And he's like, not unless I sell a tree. <laughs> and I'm like, that's actually kind of funny. You, it's funny, but like it destroyed the entire point of the first Christmas special. Right. Like, congratulations. The entire arc of Charlie Brown in that first Christmas special is now defeated. Mm. Way to go. Second Christmas special. 
Well, anyway. like I said, it's not that classic anyway. Bad sound and stuff. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, so yeah, um, not bad. Not bad, I think, for uh, a wish that wings, for wings that work. A wish for wings that work, which is a good title, too. Hard to say, though. A little bit. So, how about we keep up this wintry theme? Mm-hmm. I gave you a cartoon, a pretty darned obscure one. Hmm. Yeah, uh, this is called 12 Months. It has a longer Japanese title. But let's go with 12 months because that is what it's based on. Uh, this is this is an anime from 1980, which is based on a book by Samuel Marshak. It's based on a book by. Well, it's OK. Hang on. It's a book slash play by Samuel Marshak, a Soviet uh, writer of children's books and poetry from, I think it was 1943. This was originally published based on a traditional Slovak fairy tale. So the story here is it's, you have this girl named in, in my English dub, it was Anna, but I think it's actually Anya. Uh, this girl named Anya lives Cinderella style in a cabin in the woods with a, her wicked stepmother and stepsister. Yeah. She's she's put upon by her selfish and greedy step relatives, but she has a golden heart. She's kind to the animals. And we start with her sent into the forest to bring back some brushwood where she meets an old soldier who's searching for the most beautiful fir tree to bring back to the queen, who he refers to several times as capricious for the New Year's ball. He helps Anya collect wood. She shows him the most beautiful fur she knows. And all of this is mostly to give us an introduction to the queen. The queen is lazy and irresponsible, and she only seems to think of a monarch's seemingly infinite power. We see her blowing off her lessons in arithmetic and just decrees that her wildly incorrect answers are the correct answers. And when her tutor tries to teach her about season. She fixates on a flower called Galanthus, or Snowdrop. She decides she wants the New Year's ball to be decorated with snowdrops. And when the scholar tries to tell her that snowdrops won't grow until April, she just decrees that they will grow now. A proclamation is made to the people that anyone who brings a basket of snowdrops to the queen will be rewarded with a basket of gold. Anya's stepmother and stepsister hear this and they send Anya out in a blizzard to obtain the flowers. They're well aware that she will probably die rather than return with out-of-season flowers, but they'll be equally satisfied to have one less mouth to feed. In the snowy forest, (laughs) Anya realizes that her death is upon her, and just when she loses all strength, she sees some strange men in the distance. The blizzard abates and she sees the warm glow of a fire. Following it, she comes across a large tree and a shelf of rock under which a strange fire burns, surrounded by twelve strange men. She begs to warm herself by the fire, and though they've never allowed such a thing, the strangers allow her to join them. They explain that they are the twelve months, and they're well aware of Anya's kind heart and the plight she's lived in since her parents' deaths. They do Anya the favor of fast-forwarding the area around their gathering gathering place to April, allowing her to fill her basket with snowdrops. And they gift her a lovely ring, along with an incantation to recite if she's ever in trouble. But they make her promise not to tell of their meeting place or of the brother months themselves. Back at home, her mother and sister are asleep, so she leaves the basket on the table and goes to bed. And in the morning, the wicked women are overjoyed to actually find snowdrops. The stepsister goes to check on Anya, who is asleep, and spots the ring. And, of course, the avaricious harpy has to steal the ring for herself. At the palace, the queen can't understand why there are no snowdrops at her ball, (laughs) and proclaims that December will continue in perpetuity, delaying the new year until snowdrops are provided. And at that moment, the stepmother and stepsister arrive with the basket of snowdrops. The scholar is astounded and the queen is vindicated. But before she'll issue the evil women their reward, she demands to know where the snowdrops were found. 
The two make up a story about finding a perfectly round lake surrounded by flowers deep in the woods. And when commanded to lead the queen to this lake, they are forced to admit that it wasn't they who found the flowers, but their layabout. They return home where Anya has awakened and found her ring missing. The mother and sister implore Anya to bring them and the queen to where she found the snowdrops because they're about to be executed. But Anya refuses, both to keep her promise and out of anger at having her ring stolen. The clever stepsister makes up a story that she found the ring outside, actually, but the queen took it and will only return it when she's given snowdrops. Anya still refuses to lead anyone to the snowdrops, but she does hesitantly agree to go get more alone. Once she leaves, her conniving relatives hatch a plot where the sister will follow Anya and mark the path, while the mother will lead the queen and her entourage to that path. But Anya hears the sister following her and refuses to go any further. Exploring on her own, the sister actually finds the round lake that she made up just as the queen arrives. And in an uncharacteristic... In an uncharacteristic display of rational and kind behavior, the queen determines that Anya deserves the reward for finding snowdrops. But Anya refuses the riches the queen offers, asking only for the return of her ring. But of course, the queen doesn't know anything about her ring. And once again threatened with execution, the stepsister finally gives up the ring to the queen. But, being capricious... The queen will only return the ring to Anya if she tells her where she found the snowdrops. Even threatened with execution, even though it means losing her wonderful gift, Anya refuses to break her promise. The spiteful queen hurls the ring across the lake, and Anya recites the magic incantation. A powerful wind blows away the queen's men, spirits Anya away, and brings the queen, the scholar, the old soldier, and her evil relatives to their knees. They experience a quick trip through all four seasons, with the heat causing them to doff their warm coats and the harsh winds of autumn blowing them away. Freezing in the returned winter and seeing one fur coat stuck in a tree, the sister and mother begin viciously and greedingly fighting with each other, like dogs, and turn into dogs. Pretty startlingly. Now, yeah. Startling, yeah, that, yeah. It was yeah, so that, sudden. I was like, hmm, "This is more, I mean, weirdly supernatural and doesn't." Fit. Well, I, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but. Hmm. So at this point, the the lake disappears, and the brother months appear with Anya. As a reward for steadfastly keeping her promise, they return her ring and gift her a lovely fur coat and luxurious sledge and horses. Ever kind-hearted, Anya worries that her evil family will spend the rest of their lives as dogs, and January tells her to return next New Year's Eve to this place, where they will be returned to human form if they've learned their lesson. Anya offers to take the queen back to the palace in her sledge, and the display of kindness shames the queen. And so they head back to the palace, and that's the end. Yeah. It ends rather abruptly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, well, about, yeah, uh, I don't know if you, you guys could have done a happily ever after where well, she would I, have lived in the palace or something. And, well, yeah. yeah, but what I wanted was some kind of closure with the queen's arc. Like I wanted yeah. to see if she had actually learned anything because we see what on, you know, Anya has been proven to be the best person, mm. but the queen, you could see the queen starting to kind of learn something, mm. but also kind of not. And I, I wanted some closure with that. I wanted to just see something that showed me that the queen has learned that, you know, three plus three is not a hundred. Uh, <laughs> three times three, actually. Three times. But regarding the dogs, uh, I, think, I hmm? think I think for me, like, I imagine that Anya is like her conscience from then on or like the person that can. Did give it to her straight, you know? Yeah, like the the, the old soldier points out their similarities. Um, mm. So the, the seed is planted there for something to happen. And I could imagine, you know, Anya living in the palace as the queen's friend and like the queen, you know, the moral compass. Right. Like they the could queen. have had, they could have shown that in like 
15 seconds, I guess, was what you would Something. Have yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it's fair, I think. I Yeah, I just wanted something with that. Um, regarding the dogs, yeah. I did think it was kind of outside what I expected to be the powers of the months to transform uh, humans into dogs. But yeah. I guess it's I guess it's a fairy tale ish thing. I, I think there's like a whole bunch of variations on this fairy tale. Oh, there, yes, definitely. Yeah. There are. So so in some of the fairy tales, uh, the mother and and Lena just freeze to death. <laughs> so mm, that's more yep. part of their uh, domain, I guess. Yes, sure. But I, I will admit, like, I, I remember them turning into dogs. It's, mm. The animation for it, just like so sudden. Bam, they're dogs. I didn't even realize that it had happened. Like, it wasn't uh, like a, like, I, I thought, like, did I, like, blink and miss this? Tri-? It's not like the, um, you know, the obvious parallel is with uh, wolf children. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, they can be, you know, one of the girls can be, well, I guess there's only the one girl, um, could be, like, running and throwing a tantrum as a toddler and just, like, mm. fluidly gets down on her hands and knees and she's a wolf. I didn't even see the transformation here. Like, like you said, it was just uh, like, whoa, what the, wait, they're dogs now. But yeah, I mean, it's a very fairy tale thing. And these were, I, I watched this in two batches. It's an hour long right. mm. and I stopped halfway through because I get not tired. It's emotionally right. exhausting for right. me to see very mean, mean people, e- evil things happening with limited satisfaction. Right. I, I never finished reading the Game of Thrones books because every time something good happened, something worse would happen afterwards. And even here, like seeing Anya, she gets her ring and, she, you know, she got the ring and she's like, if you're mm. ever in trouble, recite this and here's your snowdrops and go have fun. And even as she's walking back, I knew it's like, OK, they're going to steal the ring. They're going to force her to go back there. She's going to, you know, she's going to ask them over and over for more and more snowdrops, just like taking advantage of their hospitality. Like I could just right. I was I wasn't satisfied that she was saved from the blizzard. I was worrying about all the terrible <laughs> things that were about to happen to her. You know, I, I thought of that, too. I was thinking about like, ah, because I, I know you've got a thing about characters that are just unapologetically mean. And this, uh, yeah. this show definitely has them. <laughs> like villains. I mean, fairy tale mean, for sure. But like, yeah. yes, yes. Villains can be the best parts of shows sometimes, you know, when they're, mm. you know, when they when their motivations make sense, when they are entertaining they don't necessarily have to be likable but like mm-hmm. you know if they're a good character and the stepsister mm. and stepmother here were just like so constantly evil mm-hmm. that it was tiring to deal with and it kind of made me wonder if i was more emotionally mature the first time i saw some of those disney movies like cinderella mm-hmm. would i have been as exhausted by you know, the stepsisters tearing apart Cinderella's dress. Right. Things like that. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, yep, that's sure what's happening here. And I wonder now that as I'm, as I said, more emotionally mature, would I have been more outraged if I'd seen it for the first time? This kind of standby of having, you know, whether it's stepsisters or people that adopted her, I think, uh, anyway, that, that uh, it makes me first off think like, well, they could just not, right? I mean, hmm. this person owes it to them for the shelter they give. But at a certain point, it is slavery when you uh, when you impose upon them so many duties when their alternative is being homeless. That it is basically just slavery. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that's what we have here. Um, I have some production notes for, like... Uh, uh, for this show. Mm-hmm. So some of them are kind of weird. Like Osamu, you know, do you know who Osamu Tezuka is? Not off the top of my head. He's the godfather of manga and anime. So, okay. Everything old, he made it basically. Okay. Um, All right. So Astro Boy. That's, oh, that's him. Okay. And, okay. And, okay. 
Kimbo the White Lion and uh, <laughs> and uh, right, Unico right. and just Blackjack. Yeah, I was going to say Unico. Yeah. Yeah. So many things. Apparently, he co-produced this and was a designer on this. I mm. cannot see his influence on this. <laughs> like, I think I he may have made sort some... I sort of... Yeah. I sort of can't... Like, the first time I saw Anya, I was like, oh, this is some 1980-ass animation anime right here. Yeah. His like, would have had, like, the look, Like, eyes, the though. soft... The soft look in the face and everything. Right. I can imagine that he drew a picture and then, you know, the people that really did the work on this adapted it. But uh, mm, yeah. um, also from this, uh, the director, Kimio Yabuki, um, he did a whole bunch of other Toei fairy tales, mm-hmm. such as Swan Lake and Puss in Boots. <laughs> now, you probably, without knowing it, know what uh, Piero from Puss in Boots looks like. Um, I think I do. The toy, like, the toy logo you see sometimes, like the triangle mm. with a round-faced cat that's got a hat and a Three Musketeers plume in it. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen, if nothing else, I'm I'm sure I've seen like the DVD cover of Puss in Boots or something right, like that. Right, like, like I have, I have a mental image. Some sometimes, like the uh, Transformers end credits, you'd see it too. <laughs> that Puss in the that Piero face, right? Um, yeah. Now, this is more like, like Puss in Boots is like a major movie, and, and this is like made for TV by comparison. Yeah. Puss in mm-hmm. Boots even also boasts uh, Hayao Miyazaki doing character animation in it, too. So, right. I, I wouldn't mind looking at that someday, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, sure. The other note I have for this is that uh, Anya is voiced by Corin Orr, or Corinne Orr, I guess. Mm. Um, and she's best known as. All the women and children in Speed Racer. <laughs> it's one of those funky shows with three voice actors. <laughs> um, this I, I found way back when uh, I had like a hobby where I collected uh, the video rental cards of all the various uh, rental places around. Okay. And so this was one. It was like it's a, a mom and pop kind of place that had a whole bunch of these old dubbed anime VHSs. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. And I I so, like, I tried to bargain with them, so I wanted to just buy them, thinking, like, come on, surely I'm the only one who rents these. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me buy this for six, seven (laughs) dollars. Never let me do it, though. Um, But maybe they knew what they had. I I like this just sort of like a light watch. And I... Uh, Yeah. I, I quite enjoy watching a... Uh, the queen in her goofy hairstyle. <laughs> kind of, yes. Very That's tall. where her hubis comes from. It's yeah. the power of that hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I I don't think this is particularly special, but it was it was a fun watch, like you said. Um, mm. It was, like I said, kind of exhausting to, you <laughs> know, the, to have to stand up at one point and march around, like, angry at what was going to happen. Take um, a breath. <laughs> but at the same time, stretching. Yeah, but at the same time, like you know, it's it, it, it definitely a fairy tale. Like it's a fairy tale. You know, it has all the the, the the hallmarks of a of a fairy tale. Like the you know the magical beings, a promise, villains turned into animals. I guess also for our purposes, it had lots of snow. Yes, it's like the opposite. Remember when uh, in Springfield they're having a terrible blizzard and they're in church and uh, <laughs> they're being told about the raging fires of hell and the cold yeah, yeah, boiling yeah, yeah. up. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like daydreaming. Mm. Yeah. It's the same here where like Anya's going to die of the bitter cold and we're like, oh, if only. So jelly. <laughs> I liked the the opposite. I noticed was when I first suggested this theme. I was I said to you, can you do, can we do something wintry? And you said, oh, yeah. like Christmassy. And yeah. then I gave you a Christmas special, and you gave me a not Christmas winter special. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true enough. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I yeah. think that's I think that's pretty decent. We should probably talk about what we're going to do next, because it's it might be a little bit different than winter. I actually haven't previewed it, so I don't know yet. But uh, <laughs> what is it we're doing next, Matsy? OK, so 
we we talked last week or sometimes similar about you know we were just kind of joking around like what happens if we it's it's occurred to me a few times what if we thought of the same thing like what if i said you know i want you to watch this and you said oh i picked the same thing we almost did it with the richard condy cartoons Mm. um and you said something about oh what about a theme for shows that are iterations on older shows like like a ninja turtles how ninja turtles reboots itself all the time right right and and then I said, oh, the new adventures of He-Man. And you burst out laughing because that's what you had in mind. Yeah, that's the scenario. That I, yeah, the, the scenario, like, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's do a reboot of old shows. And we both come with the new adventures of He-Man. Yeah. So we're skipping that step. We're just doing that. The new adventures of He-Man. We're, we're going to set aside the possibility for embarrassment and just get ahead of this train and watch the new adventures of He-Man, which is something I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm a big fan of Masters of the Universe. Yeah, me too, basically. I mean, yeah. I'm, I've seen it, but I don't remember it. I, I, I'm not sure that I knew until relatively recently that there was a cartoon to go along with the toys. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're going to watch the first four episodes of The New Adventures of He-Man. Indeed. Look forward to that next week. Uh, until then, please let us know what you think of the show. And let us know what you would like for us to watch. You can contact me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. And I'm AC Matsy on Twitter, where I will be posting that uh, Free as a Bird animation we mentioned earlier. Sweet. Thank you all so much for listening. And now you need to unlock the code on your submarine. It's in the instruction manual on page 24. And it's the Celery Stalker slogan.